It's a real pleasure to chat today with my friend and longtime colleague, Dr. Ross Wadey. He's an associate professor of sports psychology at St. Mary's University in London, England. He's a leading expert, uh, recognized as, as a world-renowned leader in the area of the psychology of sport injury. And recently, he's edited a, two books, one on the subject of growth after adversity in sport, and the other uh, on the psychological aspects of sport injury. Great to chat with you today, Ross. Absolute pleasure, Les. You know I love doing these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, maybe you can just talk a little bit about how you got interested in the field of sport injury, and in particular in the psychological aspects of injury. Yeah, um, I've never been injured really. Um, I've never really experienced a meaningful injury. Um, so that's normally the route people come in. Um, but I, um, yeah, originally when I first started academia, I was more interested in performance um, and how we can maximize performance. Um, and particularly for me, it was about dealing with stress and anxiety. I didn't really handle my anxiety that well as an athlete. So that's what hooked me in, I guess, the sports side. Um, I finished my studies sort of undergraduate and master's and I was a bit of a crossroads there. Um, at the time I was examining a concept called mental toughness and it was quite a sexy subject at the time, I'm quite critical of it now, um, but it was quite, it was really in vogue at that time. Um, but no PhD opportunities came around in that area. Um, so um, Professor Lynn Evans at Cardiff Metropolitan University had an opportunity then about doing a PhD in injury. I had absolutely no interest in injury whatsoever. Um, and then she sort of persuaded me though with her passion. She was, um, I was really infected by her passion for the subject and it, she really hooked me in. Um, and it took me about two, three years to really, probably towards the end of my PhD, where I actually started to like the area and definitely thought it was something I wanted to pursue. Yeah. So, what I, I guess just going back to your comment about mental toughness, you mentioned that it's a concept that was kind of a hot topic, but something that you're critical of. Maybe you can expand on why. Yeah, so it, at, the, at the time when I was looking at it, um, I was really intrigued in it because um, for me, it kind of helped understanding my own um, anxieties as an athlete. Um, and I was thinking actually people who are more mentally tough are able to handle it better. So I was intrigued, I was intrigued why these individuals um, can handle it better than certain other people. Um, but I guess over time, I've been quite critical of mental toughness. Um, it's a very fuzzy subject, but it's, um, uh, Daniel Gucciardi is doing a lot of good research now about clarifying it. Um, but I guess I, my interest has moved more towards psychosocial. Um, so I'm kind of interested as mental toughness more as a cultural phenomenon. Um, and I think it can actually do more harm than good. So if you put it in an injury context, those people are mentally tough, may push through pain a bit more. Um, so it's sort of a, a catch-22, sort of a nexus between the two. It may help performance, but it, it could actually harm like well-being and actually, you know, create worse injuries, I guess. Yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a paradox. Um, yeah. So kind of on the one hand, the idea that, maybe it's a valued attribute or that coaches or athletes see it as valuable for performance, but it's also that same quality 
that can maybe lead athletes to engage in excessive or unhealthy kinds of behaviors. Is that? Definitely, yeah. Um, and that's what we found. So interest, my early studies were very helpful in making that link between mental toughness attributes and enhancing performance. Um, and then I supervised a PhD, Dr. Francesca Cavallaria, and she looked at gymnastics and did an ethnography in an Italian gymnastics company. And she found mental toughness traits were really pushed on these athletes and they were doing actually more harm than good. Um, and I guess that sort of made me have a more critical gaze upon the concept. Yeah. And, and so um, I guess you mentioned that idea of kind of the culture or, or the environment. And I guess I'm just wondering um, if, um, you know, in certain cultures, um, mental toughness might lead to things like chronic injury, where the athlete is kind of pushing through pain or not accepting boundaries or limits. Is there some link that you know of between mental toughness or an environment that encourages it and chronic injury? Yeah, um, I mean, I haven't observed that in my own research. I mean, Francesca's observed that this mental toughness can lead to overuse injuries and, and these injuries actually getting worse. Um, I mean, I haven't actually uh, done this as such, but I've done a lot of work in the military and I've seen lots of links there where it's quite a, a mental toughness, quite a hegemonic masculinity kind of cultures. And this can involve people pushing through, um, sort of, sort of uh, pushing through pain barriers and going beyond that kind of, what will be a comfortable kind of threshold really. Um, and it can have sort of in the sort of aftermath of adversity or some kind of thing, it can be quite, a challenge um, for them they have sort of have this stiff off the lip they suppress their emotions um, so it can it can be sort of advantageous in certain contexts but in others it can be quite a challenge um, and again i think it's it's a concept i haven't followed much in the last sort of five years i know dan gucciardi has done some great research and i know he's just shifted into the military so right um, i'm sure some of his latest research should be quite um yeah quite interesting interesting yeah you, um, you mentioned Dr. Lynn Evans, who was your supervisor for your doctoral studies, that, and that she really had an interest or passion for the topic of, of injury, and that kind of as you progressed through your own studies and research that you became, I guess, more enamored or interested in the topic. I guess, what, what was it about sort of her enthusiasm, I guess, or um, interest in the topic that helped you kind of um, gain more interest in, in the topic? Yeah, I think, um, uh, I mean, I got seduced by the mental toughness area, but I think deep down, I, I, I've never really been interested in performance. Um, it's not something I'm, that I really resonated with. I think I just got swept away. I think Lynn's passion and more towards athlete wellbeing. Um, I've always been interested in things like health, wellbeing, whether it's athletes or non-athletes, I'm just generally interested in it. And I think that kind of must have uh, flicked a switch in me, maybe, or it sort of aligned with my own personal values a bit more. Um, but yeah, I did a couple of years research with Lynn and we did some um, sort of quite big quantitative studies, uh, which I didn't really enjoy. And then we, then I actually started doing some qualitative interviews and I started hearing some stories then. And it was these stories that pulled me in. Um, I remember one young lady uh, that I interviewed uh, for about four hours and she um, just completely broke down in tears 
Uh, her life had shattered around her. Her coach didn't really care about her. her. Teammates didn't really care. Her parents and her husband at the time, I think it was, I think it was her husband, um, didn't really understand the meaning of the injury to her. And I just saw this very fragile young lady in front of me. And I think that's about the time when I started to want to become an advocate for injured athletes and try and help them um, if I could, if I could. Yeah. So I, I, you mentioned that kind of interest in well-being, and I guess certainly injury would fall into that category. What, what does the term well-being mean for you? Because I guess it's quite broad and, and could entail a lot of things. Or what, what does well-being yeah. mean for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm very influenced um, by the broader literature on that that I've read around subjective and psychological well-being. So I guess in terms of subjective well-being, it's, um, I guess it is interested with the concept of happiness, happiness, so more positive affect and sort of less negative affect. Although I'm more interested in sort of paradoxical thinking now, where you can have, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a bit naive to think that everyone's going to be in this positive bubble or negative. It's, life's a bit more, more complex. Um, and then psychological well-being as well, um, looking at the, like the common concepts, which is like all top, which is very much psychological based, although I'm um, to things like autonomy, positive relationships with others, um, personal growth. Those are kind of concepts that give for me that um, would reflect psychological well-being. Uh, for me, I'm, more, I'm also very much interested in social well-being, um, so shifting away from just an individual perspective and looking at the broader relationships and culture that surround athletes. Um, yeah, um, you, you mentioned this idea of growth as an element or component of, of well-being. And as I mentioned uh, at the start of our chat, you recently, uh, along with colleagues Melissa Day and Karen Howells, edited a book on the topic of growth. Um, maybe you can clarify what that idea or concept of growth after adversity is or means. Yeah, um, so it's a new concept um, that I picked up, um, I think it was around 2010 or something like that. I, so I was getting into the injury literature at the time and I found it quite dark and gloomy to be honest, which is fine because you know, no one wants to get injured and it is a dark time. Um, but I, I read an article by Elaine Udry in 1997, I think it was a, one of her PhD studies that sort of found that athletes, injured athletes can come back kind of stronger. So, you, you know, you go through a dark time and at the other side of it, you can experience kind of some growth. It may be that you become more resilient. It may be that you, you strengthen relationships around you. Um, and you sort of perhaps improve your coping resources or perhaps find yourself a little bit more. It can be quite an enlightening period. Darker times in our lives, we can find that. Um, and I found, I thought it was quite an in, a novel concept at the time as a way of helping athletes. So perhaps if you can gain something, it may be that you could, this could lead on to them improving performance in sport. It could lead on them preventing them to get injured because they're more resilient. There's certain things that I thought could be quite a helpful concept. Uh, so we started looking into it um, over a couple of years now. I've tried to theorise about it um, and create some interventions to help injured athletes come back better than what they were prior to their injury. Um, but I've got quite, um, with the book, I had a number of ideas and I spoke to Karen Howes, who'd just done a PhD on it, and Melissa Day, who I always work with really, 
And we were quite critical of the concept. So it's quite a, um, a neoliberal concept. So everything's about the self. So the injured athlete, how can the injured athlete come back stronger? But we wanted to push it actually um, and go beyond the individual. So how can relationships potentially come back stronger? How can teams come back stronger? How can organizations come back stronger? How can we change cultures? Because um, there's more and more um, things coming out in the media now and in the academic literature saying the darker side of sport. You know, there's toxic cultures, there's organizations um, that don't really have the right policies and practices. Um, there's groups, you know, that aren't working well together. Um, and we thought actually let's push this growth concept beyond the individual, um, which mainstream psychology hasn't really done. Um, so, you know, if I give you an injury example, because I know that's what we're talking about today, what can we learn about from injuries that can create change in policies and practices? Um, there's a really nice example in Canada at the moment. For example, there was a young lady who suffered a tragic death um, she had a relentless number of concussions in sport and because of that um, horrific in injury these repeated concussions they start to change policies and practices in Canada now so you know if they have if anyone's seen to have um, a concussion you have to come off the pitch and everyone needs to get training in concussion now so it's not just looking at positive change that may happen to the individual, it's pushing it as well. What can we create change in policies and practice to protect athletes? And that's the kind of the way I sort of see the concept going. And that's what we try to push with the book, um, as well as being very critical of the concept as well. Because um, yeah. it can yeah. do good, but it can do bad. So, Right. So I want to pick up on that latter point. Um, but I think it's really interesting that, you know, you had an interest in, kind of extending this idea of, of growth beyond just the individual to things like organizations, um, teams, maybe um, individuals working with, with the athletes uh, who may experience some form of adversity. How, how do you, and I think your example of a policy change as an indicator of growth is a great example. I'm wondering how, how you measure growth, either in a, an individual level or some of the other levels that, that you just referred to. Yes, it's, it's a, a good question. Um, so the, the area of literature is, is to be honest, quite in its infancy. Um, so there's, to be honest, there's hundreds of measures out there to measure at an individual level. Um, so we have typical psychometric scales, um, you know there's not that many developed in sport um but you know we do have ones that we can do use upon that but the the indicators of growth are very much different depending on what level you're focusing at um so you know team sorry uh, sort of like a dyad level you know looking at relationships um and looking at you know is the relationship perhaps more reciprocal and different and then a team level looking at collective functioning an organization or looking at policies and practices and that a cultural level they can mean different things um so there's you know if you take a quantitative approach there's a hell of a lot of scope to develop more psychometric measures for me taking a more qualitative um approach it would very much be um you know creating using as many different sort of um, data collection methods as possible to provide as much robust robust evidence that change has happened um so that would be 
um, I guess, but that, that would be a really interesting future area of research, let's try and push the measurement of the concept. So to your last point, Ross, you mentioned that implicit in this idea of growth is the notion that change has occurred. Yeah. Why is that important? Why is it important for the athlete um, to say or to experience some kind of change? Yeah, I think, um, I think if, you keep it, if you keep it at an individual level, um, I mean, a lot of the athletes, uh, when I was a practitioner, the people I work with, very much didn't have time to stop and reflect. Um, and I think injury, for example, when I did consult with a lot of injured athletes, this was an opportunity for them to stop and reflect and get off the treadmill. It can derail them for a bit. And it may be that, you know, from consultations or work that actually they, they've reflected and they're happy with what, where they were prior to the injury and we get them back on the tracks, hopefully, and things can tick along like they were. But for some, it's nice to perhaps stop and think and think about um, ways that they may change. We may find a different journey. We might find a different trajectory for them where they could be much happier. Um, and I would reinforce that, you know, psychological well-being could be a really valuable thing to have um, and it may be that you know they go on to be happier they may go on to have more autonomy they go on to have stronger relationships all things that are um, i would say valuable qualities right. um, but changes beyond the individual are so important as well i mean if you look at the culture of gymnastics right now that's getting a lot of media coverage um, it's horrendous what these young girls have been through so we need to stop and reflect with these broader national governing bodies and think about how can we stop abuse? How can we stop these toxic cultures? And how can we bring around change to make sport a beautiful sport um, and to make it a sport that I would want my daughter to go into? Because at the moment, I wouldn't recommend that she does. Yeah. Um, we talked to also a little bit about this idea that growth seems to entail this notion that someone is somehow stronger as a consequence of having had maybe a dark period or some form of adversity. And, and I was just kind of thinking about the comment you made earlier of, uh, in, in relation to uh, the concept of mental toughness, how it can be maybe a double-edged sword, maybe helpful in some ways for the athlete, but at times counterproductive. And I wonder in some ways, if the same doesn't apply to this notion of, of growth. Uh, more specifically that, you know, there's this sort of cultural narrative or storyline that one should be stronger or better. Um, and, and I wonder if on some level that has problems or limitations to it as, as a kind of storyline. Yeah, it's something that I am, um... I, at the time when I originally took it up, uh, the concept, I didn't foresee this, uh, but it's over time reading more, uh, and to be honest, chatting to a lot more sociologists as well, um, and far more critical psychologists, and having those conversations with them, I've been able to develop my understanding of it. But my biggest, my biggest fault with it is that it is quite neoliberal, that it always emphasises that the individual has to come back stronger, and we ch hopefully challenge that with the book, where it's actually, you need to stop pointing the finger at the individual. Um, other concepts is that it can raise uh, significant expectations. So injuries, injuries 
a horrible thing and I wouldn't wish it upon anybody and you can and it can be life life transforming for negative reasons as well um, and you know it's almost with this concept of growth it's not good enough just to recover anymore you you won't get a pat on the back if you just recover you have to come back stronger and I think that places huge expectations on athletes mm. um, which I think is wrong um, I also worry about these people who don't experience growth um, so they could be seen as failures they clearly aren't coping right they don't have the right qualities and and I'd hate for them to be stigmatized against because of that so that's another downside of it um, yeah. so it can have it can have, and it can be that's it is again a very much a paradox as good it can do good and it can do bad yeah I just as you were talking I was thinking about uh, the comments of um, a colleague that I interviewed uh, Dr. Christian Zepp from the German Sport University. And, and he says that sometimes he feels sort of this idea of coming back stronger is something of a cliche in some ways. And that, um, that when you experience difficulty or challenge, adversity, that you're gonna be different, not necessarily stronger, but that you're, you know, by virtue of having had that experience, you're, you're changed in some way. Um, you're different and um you know and and on some level i guess i'm, I'm wondering if you know whether the person is quote unquote stronger is as relevant as do they have tools or strategies to cope effectively with with the challenge and maybe the issue is less about well are you stronger in some ways and do you have ways and means to get through whatever challenge, whether it's injury or some other form of adversity. Um, you know, I know in the literature there's discussion or debate about how we actually assess whether people are in fact stronger. Um, some people might say it doesn't, you know, if you perceive you are, that's what counts. Others might say, well, it's more important to have objective indicators that someone has actually changed in some way, shape or form. Um, yeah, um, just comments, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting point. Um, so it's um, a debate I often have with Karen House. So Karen's got some great research in this area. So if I talk about the cultural phenomenon, it is, a, it is um, so growth can mean different things to individuals. So what psychologists deem growth is quite different from like sociologists. But it is, a, it is a classic narrative. It's a storyline out there. Um, it's a storyline that's in most books. It's a storyline that's in most films. You know, a, a classic one for me would be Rocky, something I, you know, if Rocky never came back in the end and defeated everyone at the end, the story would never be produced. If Lance didn't come back, Lance Armstrong didn't come back and win those Tour de France, his book would never be published. It's a storyline that we like to keep reinforcing. Um, and what Karen House has found in some of her research is that people just perform the storyline. They, they becomes um, internalized because they see it everywhere. And they just tell me that, you know, I have grown. But she, in her research, she's challenged them. And she's like, well, what do you mean? Show me that you've grown. What, in what ways? And she's realized that people actually may not be genuine in what they've experienced. And they're just performing. Yeah. If you go to like Goffman's research in sociology, you know, people are just performing the storyline, I guess. Um, but I think coping's a really interesting one. I mean, 
what's a downside for me in a lot of the literature around growth is that we typically only look at one isolated event. So you experience one adversity and then we ask you, you know, have you experienced growth? Something I tried to do in, in a recent article I published is look at growth following a number of adversities. So what we were able to find out is that those people have experienced a moderate amount of adversity were able to cope better with future adversity because they developed the coping strategies, they developed certain things that they were able to use in the future. And they only realised that they'd grown actually when they experienced the next adversity. Yeah. Um, we did find those that experienced <laughs> lots of adversity though, eventually ended up, ended up um, suffering mental health in the end. Um, and actually this came a real snowball effect and things went downhill quite quickly. Um, so again, it's an interesting um, thing about how much kind of adversity you've experienced in the past. Right, right. Like maybe, maybe at a certain point, you know, there's a threshold after which if you continue to experience chronic or maybe significant stressors or, or adversity that becomes less than helpful. But that point about kind of developing some coping skills for the next challenge as being important. I think also implicit in your comment, Ross, is this idea that, you know, sometimes we think of growth as an end unto itself or an end point, right? Like I've reached this enlightened state where, you know, I've grown as an individual and, and therefore whatever challenges come my way are less, you know, challenging or, or um, affect me less so, but sort of more the notion that you know, it's always something of a work in progress, I guess, right? Like there's always going to be the next challenge. And if you have some skills that you've developed, then maybe you're better equipped to deal with those subsequent challenges or forms of adversity. Um, I couldn't agree more or less. Yeah, the story's never over. So, um... yeah. Um, and I guess in, in terms of, um, you know, injury as, as a, specific challenge what well, certainly i this is a little bit more specific one challenge that that commonly comes up with athletes is they're apprehensive or worried about getting hurt again and and i'm wondering either from a research standpoint or from an applied standpoint what are some ways or strategies in particular that a practitioner might use that you use with athletes or how do you help the athlete who has that kind of adversity or that particular challenge they're worried about getting hurt again yeah um yeah i'd probably ask you that question as i'd say you're more the expert on that but i think it's a really important point and it's something um that I'd say your research, very much groundbreaking research, has started to unpick this about this more this return to phase to recovery, which sort of kicked off, I think it was around 2004, 2006, when your research started to come to play, and about this thing called psychological readiness, which is getting a lot more attention now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great, I, I, I really enjoy the area. I think what, the more stuff I do in practice though it's it's hard to, it's really hard to deliver in practice because there's so many pressures for athletes to come back and they get pressures from the culture pressures from the coaches teammates need them back and um so if we can get the psychology ready and get um, reduce this anxiety um i think great i mean so a lot of the time 
when I did apply consultancy was just making athletes comfortable with their anxiety um, and recognizing that they're experiencing it um, and being okay with that. Um, and you know, really un unpicking what this anxiety means to them, going a bit further about what lies underneath this anxiety. You know, what, what would, um, I like, I sort of just like the deepest kind of more uh, Socratic kind of approach where you really start to unpick. It is an emotion, but what's the real deep, you know, perhaps it's an identity issue that's underlying it, perhaps maybe some sort of existential crisis underneath, you know, if they, if they do get injured again, what's the concern? Um, a lot of the time I do spend time with athletes. I mean, a lot of them, to be honest, have the strategies. Um, they've learned all these psychological skills in performance contexts, so they just cross over, they're just not aware of it. The one thing I normally work, work with them on, though, um, that they don't normally do is really getting that mind-body connections, that body-self relationship, and really listening to their body. Um, and, you know, what is your body saying, telling you now? Is it, you know, is that good pain? Is it bad pain? Describe that pain. Where are you now? Um, and getting them to really understand their body. And I think, and enabling them to make that decision if, if they possibly can, um, when they feel they're psychologically ready to return. Um, but it is very much a, you know, a multidisciplinary decision and that's, you know, and hopefully maybe even a transdisciplinary decision moving forward, but getting everyone on the table, getting the physio there, getting the athlete there, getting the strength conditioning coach, the physiotherapist, all these individuals need to come around and really make this informed decision. Um, that, that's for me would be the, uh, the best practice here. Yeah. So, you know, I really like how, you know, you mentioned that, you know, some, sometimes apprehensions or concerns um, may relate to a variety of underlining things. It, I mean, in some instances, it may just be, well, physically, you know, there, there may be legitimate reasons why someone's apprehensive or ambivalent because physically maybe they just need more time to recover. But on the other hand, maybe it's about, you know, uh, concerns about their identity or unfulfilled potential or you know something related to the meaning and the role of sport in their lives and and what purpose it serves for them and you know the prospect of not being able to to do something that's self-fulfilling self-defining self-rewarding um those kinds of things so i think you know that sounds important that i guess you're having some of those discussions to get the athlete reflecting on some of those maybe more philosophical issues or, or reflecting on, on the meaning of the injury or what implications it has for them moving forward. Um, I guess also, you know, in terms of your point about readiness, it, it definitely seems like it's um, a complicated concept. And, and sometimes I have probably more questions than definitive answers about, you know, what, what it actually, it means to be ready. Um, I also more and more, you know, we talked about that idea that athletes internalize cultural beliefs a lot. And, and my sense is for a lot of athletes, maybe that their desire to return can be um, quite intense and, and maybe their sort of judgment can be clouded um, and, and so, um, you know, if you just ask an athlete, do you feel ready to return? They may say yes, because that's the right thing to say, because they think other people want to 
hear that because that's what a tough athlete does. Yeah. And, and in some ways, I also wonder whether more sort of indirect assessments or indicators of, of whether someone is um, ready might be useful. So for inch, example, um, you know, if you ask the athlete to, you know, if you give them a choice and say, do you want to do this more assertive kind of behavior and you don't necessarily tell them that but you say okay well do you want prefer to do this or maybe something that that's not quite as um in, intense um and and they choose the less intense thing maybe maybe that's an indicator that they're not quite as ready or maybe just more sort of behavioral things in terms of how they're carrying themselves or again what kinds of activities they're willing to do or not willing to do um, so yeah, I, I guess definitely an area probably that requires more investigation and um, looking that's at the, what the that, implications that, are too. That's normally where I sit, Les, of that latter part. Um, when you really know an athlete, you sort of just know when they're ready. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in perhaps in their body language. It's little indicators like that when you really know someone. You can hear it in their language. You know, it's whether they're a bit more less looking in the past thinking more in the future and you can sort of just tell um yeah. but sometimes we get it wrong and that's okay um, i had a really great chat with Rennie up and neil the other day um who was really honest and open in her conversations um you know that she worked with an athlete and she did everything she thought was right um but the athlete got re-injured um, and that hit her hard as an applied sports psychologist. You know, yeah. you feel you haven't done your job right, but we can't always get it right. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah. But the, well, yeah. Little, Go ahead, sorry. No, no, I just think these little nuance kind of little things, when you really develop a relationship with someone, you can sort of just tell. Um, but there is always a risk to it. I mean, look, I think in your research as well as mine, there's the best way to find if you're psychologically, well, for me, the boy is the biggest indicator is when you're going through a real tough challenge and your injury withstands it. That's the best kind of confirmation that yeah. it's okay. But obviously, we need to simulate that as much as we can um, in order to prepare for that moment. But that kind of moment sort of validates the athlete that they are physically and psychologically you know, in a good place right there. Yeah. And, the, you know, of course, sport is, if nothing else, physical, right? And so athletes gain confidence from being able to do things. Um, and certainly in the case of injury, when they haven't been able to do things, getting that validation uh, may be important. You know, I guess in, in terms of this idea of readiness, sometimes I also wonder, well, it, it, does it even really matter? Uh, like, it, it's probably pretty legitimate, understandable that particularly after some absence, potentially a prolonged absence, that you will have uncertainties and, and apprehensions, fears, worries, but maybe for some athletes, you go out and over a period of time, as you alluded to, you test it and realize, well, my concerns were unfounded or I can, my body can withstand the rigors and demands of sport. And, um, you know, or, or maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's um, for, for some athletes, um, you know, they, they have, apprehension that may be more debilitating once they get out and and compete or perform um, or they don't get that validation that the body 
is ready. Um, so though is that you give that athlete a voice. I think what's typically always happened is you get that tick box from the physio or the doctor that everything's all right. And I think always historically, no one's given that athlete the voice. You know, you know, if they are really struggling, it's something we should address. And it may just be, you know, go back and eventually you'll kind of eventually find your way. But I think it's really important that athletes' voices are heard. If you are struggling, um, you know, it's important that we speak up. And the psychology's getting more and more accepted in sport. I think it's really important that we have athletes at the table and that are talking and they feel that you know, their voice is being heard by the multidisciplinary team around them. Yeah, but having said that, I mean, do you think there's also the tendency for the athlete to want to keep a stiff upper lip and, you know, say everything is fine or, you know, like, no, yeah. I'm okay? Of course, I think that is. And again, it comes back to knowing your athlete, I think. But then I think you have to have a good, tough chat with your athlete. It's, it's sort of the short-term versus long-term debate. It's like, okay, you can go back now, um, and you may, you may be okay this game. But if you go back and you re-injure yourself for another nine months, then, you know, your contract may end. Um, and, you know, it's, it's making that, and it's not always a clear-cut decision, but you have to... And again, I would always typically favour the long-term approach. I'd always want to enhance the sustainability of athletes' careers and that. But sometimes um, in my work, we've had to go for the short term because they've had to compete um, in order to get Olympic qualifications. They've had to do this short-term thing. And, and that's just the nature of sport and the timings of things and just the context around them. Um, but having that decision about the long-term and short-term is always a critical one for me. Right. So, yeah, kind of being aware of, of those two pieces, I guess. And I was going to ask, I mean, would you say that sometimes those two are at odds, the long-term well-being with the short-term need to compete, maybe, as you say, for a, a big competition, an Olympics or something else? Are they yeah. incongruent? Yeah, typically they are. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy decision, um, but it's something that the decision, for me always, you know, I try and make the athlete come to it. Um, and for me, it can be quite a simple intervention. I mean, sometimes I've just got an athlete to write a letter to themselves and actually just say, write a letter to yourself, just saying, I've made this decision for this reason. Um, and that's why and it's something they can come back. Um, and, you know, it's something that they can work through themselves. Um, yeah. Just a little thing, a little thing like that. Yeah, it, it sounds like in your applied work with athletes, Ross, that you get the athletes to do a lot of self-reflection. Would that be accurate? I do. I, I also get them. I mean, I don't do much consulting now because uh, I've got a family, so I haven't got the time. Um, but I also um, did a lot of um, getting them to do a lot of social reflection as well. You know. I don't like it um, when athletes are constantly blamed or they internalise the issues and things like that. It's just, you know, perhaps this isn't, perhaps you're not the issue here. Perhaps the culture's the issue. Perhaps your overbearing coach is the issue here. Perhaps, you know, um, so making them aware that actually it's not always them that is the problem. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's, you know, typically athletes always say, you know, what's wrong with me? I'm like, there's probably nothing wrong with you. You're absolutely, you're a lovely person. It's just, you're in a, really bad environment right now yeah um, yeah i'm just i'm kind of thinking almost you know you have referred to this idea that sometimes we kind of locate the 
the problem, if you will, or issue on the shoulders of the individual. And as you seem to be suggesting that maybe, um, maybe it's a larger a cultural or subcultural issue, something related to the sport or the team or yeah. the, the broader environment that either the athlete internalizes or may just exist kind of outside of the athlete, but um, that the outside observer may sort of have the tendency to put on to the athlete. Mm. And, you know, I'm just thinking of this is unrelated, but sort of this idea of drug taking in sport, right? That it's somehow a moral failure on the part of the athlete if yeah. they're, you know, they, they made a bad choice, right? It's always about the athlete making a poor choice as opposed to, well, what, what's the context in which they're operating? What, what are the norms? What, what's being encouraged? Um, maybe they're deferring to authority. You know, in, in Australia, I guess some time ago, there was a case of one of the, I think the Australian rules football teams where basically the, one of the, I think exercise physiologist was kind of administering, uh, you know, substances to the athletes that I don't even know if they were aware of it, but um, of what they were ingesting, but, you know, maybe there's a tendency to defer to authority. So if someone says here, take this, it's going to enhance your performance. You don't question the coach kind of thing, but you follow along and, and do as you're told. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess in, in terms of um, ways to support on that note, uh, from a coaching standpoint, or in terms of managerial individual, people in managerial roles within a team, are there things that those individuals can do to support an athlete through adversity, injury, or some other form of adversity? Yeah, I think they, uh, I really do think they can. Um, I mean, one of your colleagues, um, Les, wrote a great, uh, is it John Neal? How, how do you pronounce his name? Sorry, it's John? Heil? Heil, sorry. Yeah, yeah that's okay. I've been getting his name wrong for 20 years. Um, I mean, he wrote a fantastic article, I think it was in 2016, about um, the role of advocacy um, and sports psychologists being advocates for their athletes and challenging bad practices, challenging bad, you know, policies and things like that. And I think there is a role for that. And I know some sports psychology governing bodies have given guidelines around advocacy and supporting athletes. But there are obviously very much downsides to this. You know, it's, you know, challenging the culture that you're in, challenging the people that perhaps pay your wages, um, being a whistleblower, there's, there's, it's not an easy decision process to go about. But I think, you know, um, John, John wrote a fantastic paper about how we can better support um, the athletes. Yeah. Um, and I think the way that hopefully sports psychology is moving on is that, you know, it doesn't locate always the problem with the individual. We start and I think that's where the importance of interdisciplinary research is, whether it is more psychosocial, psychosocial cultural, um, and really start bridging these to understand the complexities of the issues um, and, you know, where the issues, are, you know, do lie. Maybe they do lie in the individual, but maybe, maybe just maybe they don't in, yeah. in certain circumstances. Yeah, so certainly, I suppose, irrespective of where issues may sort of originate, 
Um, certainly in the case of injury, of course, it can have a big impact or a profound one on, on the athlete themselves. And I guess from your standpoint, either as a researcher, practitioner, are there things that athletes can do to help themselves recover effectively, to cope well, maybe to experience some form of growth? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's definitely things that um, athletes can do. Um, I think the first thing with it, the first thing I normally struggle with injured athletes is helping them um, to understand what they're thinking and feeling. Um, a lot of the time they're not self-aware of this. Normally they are putting up a front um, and giving them a space to breathe, giving them a space to tell their story. I mean, for anyone not familiar with this area, it's, it's, um, if I may, I'll give you an example to sort of illustrate this. So let's pretend we've got a, a, this is a fictitious example. So let's pretend we've got a young athlete called Lisa who's got an ACL injury. She's been out, you know, she's been told she's going to be out for six, nine months. Um, and perhaps she's like eight weeks into her rehab and she's missing her teammates. So she walks back in to see her teammates. And she walks in and everyone walks up to her and sort of says, you know, um, how are you, Lisa? So Lisa goes, fantastic. Recovery's going really well, making loads of progress. The doctor's really happy with me. The surgeon's happy. The physio thinks I'm going to be perhaps returning a bit close, a bit sooner than normal. And this is a story, for example, that people want to hear and people, a storyline that people will celebrate. But let's imagine Lisa goes in the next, goes in and perhaps is a bit more honest. And she goes, and everyone goes, how are you today, Lisa? I'm not good. I spent all last night crying. Um, I nearly considered self-harming. I slipped in the bath and I've made my injury worse. I'm gonna be out for another three months. I burnt myself on the kettle trying to make a cup of tea. I don't know who I am anymore. And just imagine how that story would be received by those teammates. People wouldn't know what to do. People feel awkward. It's a storyline that's not welcomed in sport. It's not tough. It's not positive. Um, so at somewhere, we need athletes to share their stories. We need them to talk, to, to get that out and understand where they are and why they're there. And I guess for me, that first bit of being self-aware and giving them, for me, it's giving them permission to talk and permission to be negative and getting them to be okay with that. I think that's the first thing. I normally do and then and then I try to sort of understand the broader context around these decisions you know why why are they talk you know perhaps why they're reacting the way they're reacting and then then perhaps considering things they could do um you know what opportunities are potentially available to them is there anything that they can do um most athletes not all sometimes normally have a bit more time during their rehab so what could they be doing in that time um to maximize that time um, and that's where sort of opportunities arise. I would never obviously prescribe growth. I couldn't recommend a worse, never tell an athlete they're going to experience growth because they will bite your head off. Um, it's something they don't want to hear. Um, and the timing of the concept is really important and I probably won't do it till they're well gone and have returned really, if I ever bring it up. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of self-awareness, I guess I keep coming back to that concept, but I think that's really important. Yeah. How do you go about giving them 
license to voice the fact that they may not be feeling positive or you know that things might not be going well how do you create that opportunity for them to voice those those uh, negative thoughts feelings emotions yeah i mean this is obviously predicated on the assumption that they can articulate how they're feeling i mean um research i've done with francesca cavallari is that young athletes actually can't don't have the words they don't have the words to talk or express how they're feeling so uh, the first thing i try to do is create I mean, if they can't speak about it, there's, there's so many other mediums that you can try. Like, you know, if they need to draw a picture, they need to, you know, uh, if there's any, any way of them talking or, or getting it out of them, um, I try and mobilise. You know, if there's a song that reflects how you're feeling, let's listen to the song together. If there's a story or a news article that helps you, or if you want to do a painting, if you want any way to get it out of you, um, that's, I think, the first thing. But the, the largely comes down to, um, I think it's sort of your alliance with the athlete. They need to trust me. They need to make sure that I'm a good guy, um, that I'm not going to go tell their coach, tell their physio, tell anyone um, that this is a safe space. But that comes with time. So it may be that, you know, normally when I did consultancy, normally the first six sessions are a waste of time. I don't get much. I know they're just performing for me, but I know this is a, process that they're going through and once they sort of sauce me out then it's normally comes unexpected and they suddenly offload um yeah so yeah. It's that sort of trust factor or building that relationship and the rapport where they they know that okay you're someone that they can divulge information to and um you know and and then once you get that level of, of security or, or comfort or they the athlete perceives it um yeah. then maybe through different means you mentioned whether it's just yeah. you know drawing a picture um you know listening to a song you know like is there a newspaper article out there that is of interest to you at the moment like yeah. something other than just maybe getting them to talk yeah um, but something that maybe helps generate some sort of um I guess, indication of how they're feeling at the time, then opens that possibility to explore sort of what it means to them or how they're experiencing something. Definitely, and I think the context helps as well. Think about where your consultations are. If, if you're having it in a sporting environment, highly likely they're not gonna open up in case anyone overhears. So think about a safe space outside of sport. Yeah. I think about like where you're sat as well. And if you're in a coffee shop, you know, sit them so they're facing the wall. Uh, no, you know, facing you and to the wall, so there's not a hundred people around them distracting them, and um, and obviously, I mean, I always ask the athlete or the individual um, where they would like to have a consultation, um, yeah. and if they sort of veer toward more private spaces, you sort of potentially, you know, I'm sort of thinking maybe they are going to open up a bit more, um, but yeah. those kind of things have helped me. Um, from a research standpoint, in terms of injury, what are some things that excite or interest you as areas to further examine or, or look at? Are there sort of broad areas, I guess, that, that are of interest to you at the moment? Yeah, I think, um, uh, I think there needs to be uh, a lot more research. Um, I don't know, yeah, I'll be interested, I think, 
a broad area that really interests me is really mental health at the moment. But how can we really support injured athletes and their mental health and those that are suffering? And I think they 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 warrant our you know our our research attention to help best support them. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, I think it may be exploring beyond the individual. You know, how do we create really great rehabilitation environments? Yeah. Um, things like that, not just, again, not just more research around psychological skills and injured athletes. I think, okay, I think we've done that. We could probably refine it a bit more, but I think moving beyond that now and how to build practitioner relationships, um, how to work in multidisciplinary teams. Right. Uh, I think those kind of questions probably those are the ones that will probably keep me up at night yeah and the big thing as well i don't think there's enough on prevention how can we really prevent injury and um i think that yeah i mean they're tough questions um yeah so i think those are probably the ones that yeah. immediately come to mind right yeah and i appreciate how you know i guess maybe a running theme of our conversation ross is this idea that it's um you know, these things, whether it's injury again, or some other challenge that it's not just at the individual level, but of course there's a multitude of interactions on a social level, um, teammates to other injured or non-injured teammates with coaches, with practitioners, that there's a cultural and subcultural environment in which, you know, an injury happens uh, to the individual. So on some level, it's not just an individual experience, but very much a social phenomenon. And, and also, you know, you talked a lot about some of these larger kind of narratives that operate within society and, and how that, you know, may come to bear uh, on the individual as well. So, um, yeah, I think lots of interesting questions and, and, and topics to explore. Um, are there kind of other points, I guess, in terms of the, the injury experience that, that we haven't discussed that, that you feel are important or um, salient, uh, either for the athlete or, or someone sort of working in a practitioner role? Um, I, I mean, obviously, this is there I could talk about all day, Les. Um, there's loads more. Well, I'd just like to say that Len, Les did send me a rough interview guide prior to this. <laughs> he hasn't asked many of the questions on that, <laughs> um, which is why I love Les. Um, but no, I think like, yeah, um, I'm, I'm happy with that, Les. And this is any, uh, is there any questions you may have? Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy to wrap it up there unless you do have any other ones. Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess in terms of the, some of the questions I sent, they're certainly <laughs> focused more on on the individual yeah yeah no right? yeah. And, and how the athlete may experience things or yeah. you know the role of some of those um yeah. things like motivation or um and yeah so you know i appreciate the conversation having a, a different uh, focus as <laughs> I knew well it was. I knew it was. yeah but um i i very much appreciate your time dr Wady, and, and it as I will, I will add, actually, Les, I will yeah. answer one of your questions. Yeah, for sure. So Les, last, last question, he did ask, he said he was going to say, if you were to share one piece of advice for injured athletes, what would that be? Yeah. So one piece of advice is to look after your body. You only get one of them. Um, so that would be my biggest advice. Yeah, I think 
those are sage words of, of wisdom. And, you know, earlier you'd mentioned that idea of listening to your body, right? And uh, certainly athletes, either through, you know, norms that, or beliefs that get internalized or just their, their interest in achieving goals and getting back quickly. I mean, we didn't really talk. I mean, we talked a little bit about that issue, I guess, of time or sort of this um, issue of expediency and kind of the yeah. future being now, right? I've got to come back for this big competition. And maybe at times that's at odds with the idea of taking care of your body or listening to your body. Um, so I, I think striking that balance seems important, right? Like how does the athlete on the one hand kind of work to better themselves physically and heal and compete in big competitions, but also, you know, um, not continually put their bodies at risk or, or do things that may, um, you know, incur lifelong damage. So um, the story you mentioned of concussion, I guess, certainly being one example. Um, yeah, thanks again for, for your thoughts, Ross. And again, I really appreciate our discussion. So finish Lovely it there. Lovely to see your face, Liz. I've missed it. <laughs> thanks for the kind words.